Hi, my name is Christy, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. We're so excited. Our lead pastor, Todd, is actually preaching at the Greenhouse in Athens this morning. For any of you guys who aren't aware who uh, the Greenhouse are, they're a church that's been planted up there. They're doing incredible things in Athens, Tennessee, and we actually got to help plant them through public church, and we're continuing to support them, and Todd's getting to, to bring the word there this morning, so we're so excited for that, and we get none other than the Sam Landreth to lead us this morning. Oh, I'm so excited. So pumped for him. He's, I'm telling you, you guys have no idea what you're in for. This guy, you're, you're, you're not going to be seated very long. I'm just saying. You guys are about to be jumping, screaming. It's going to be insane. I'm excited for this. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm really pumped because not this coming up week, but 4th of July week, Sam's going to be leading our student ministry as we go to beach camp in Panama City Beach. He's bringing the word all week long. I'm so excited. And guess what? There's still time for you to sign up. Now, we're packed, but we're really, we're going to make it happen. Listen, if there's more students that want to go, we will make a way for you to be there. So if you're interested, especially after hearing him talk this morning, if you're like, man, I want to go. I want to be a part of this. Then come and you can talk to either Bree or Austin or uh, email our next gen and tell us that you want to be there. We'd love to take you to the beach for a week for God to, to work in your life, for Sam to speak into your life, for public worship to be leading worship for it. It's going to be insane. Now, I do need to give a little caveat here. All of you in this room, I know all of you are like, dude, I'm signing up today. This is great. I'm in. I'm going to get on the app right now. I'm going to sign up. I'm going. You can't, most likely, because most of you in here, I'm assuming, are not in middle school or high school. We do do, um, I said do do. Um, if uh, <laughs> We will be doing birth certificate checks, okay? So those of you in here with like a full beard saying that you're a 12-year-old, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. We're going to be checking into that, okay? But if you're a middle school student or a high school student, we would love for you to come and be a part of our camp this week. So I'm, I'm so, or next week, week and a half, some, sometime soon, okay? Come and be a part of it. It's going to be great. Sign up. Everybody give it up real quick for Sam Landreth. Well, thank, thanks, Colin. Uh, guys, I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, I'm excited about next week uh, with camp. I actually was at two camps this week, so I started in Florida at the beginning of the week and was with, uh, with a uh, group of middle school and high schoolers uh, from West Tennessee, um, and they were fun, man. They were a bunch of rednecks. I mean, I had seven little seventh grade girls coming up to me like, do you duck hunt? Do you turkey hunt? And I'm like, no, but we can talk about it, you know. I had one hunting story, and I shared it there, so I'm done with hunting stories for them. But, uh, and then the next part of the week, I, I flew in, and I came back, and I, I was been up at uh, Horns Creek uh, with a group of about 170 middle schoolers. Uh, so you can imagine what that's like. I mean, those jokers are crazy. I mean, I don't know. I, I love middle school. They're fun, but they, they, they have endless amounts of energy. I mean, like, I'll never forget, like, watching them take, like, two pixie sticks, you know, and just, just shoving that thing down their mouth, just letting it all candy, you know, it's like they get on those candy highs and they're just running around. And uh, by the end of the week, I think it like got infected in me and I was running around, I was going crazy. Um, but here's the reality, guys. I, I'm great, uh, really excited to be here today, excited about next week. Uh, if you haven't signed up for beach camp and you're a student, uh, sign up. Uh, let's go have some fun at the beach. Uh, but I'm really excited about this morning. Hey, I don't know if you're like me, but I love, and this is probably, so it's 12 o'clock now, so this might be a little painful, but I love to eat. Like, I, I, come on now, I love me some good food. I mean, I, I think about food all the time. I talk to people about food. Like, I get excited when it comes to food. Like, I love that, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like diners, drive-ins, and something, and that guy goes around, and he tries different foods, and he commentates it, and he's like, you know, telling everybody about it. Like, 
I would love that job, man. I'd go around, I'd try that food, and I mean, I'd commentate it. I'd be like, it's the greatest sandwich in the world, and go to the next place to the next. Well, a few weeks ago, man, I had a life-changing experience. Somebody took me to a restaurant called Bees. It's spelled B-E-A apostrophe S. And it's in Chattanooga. It's been there since 1950. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But I go into Bees. It's got this big old round table, and it's got a Lazy Susan in the middle. And I didn't know what a Lazy Susan was. But Lazy Susan in the middle of the table, you could spin that thing, right? So you're all sitting around this big table, family and friends, and then you got this Lazy Susan in the middle that you can spin. And then I'm going to tell you, son, I'm, I'm about to get fired up. I'm going to start preaching here. They start bringing it. I mean, they're bringing out pinto beans. They're bringing out green beans. They're bringing out mac and cheese. They're bringing out coleslaw. They're bringing out beets. I mean, they're bringing out banana pudding. And then here comes the meat. They're bringing out fried catfish, fried chicken. I'm saying, come on, amen. Keep it coming. Don't stop. I'm getting fired up. I'm yelling, right? And so then I got my lazy Susan. I'm spinning that thing around. I'm getting what I want. You know, I'm throwing it down, throwing it back, grabbing more, spinning more, throwing it back. And then here's, here's what I didn't know what would happen. I get about to the end of my meal, and everybody's finishing up. That Lazy Susan's getting empty, right? And, and, and the food's starting to, to go, and everybody's eating it, and it's almost all gone, right? Well, here they come again. They bring out more mac and cheese. They bring out more green beans, more pinto beans, more fried chicken, more fried catfish. And then they said, hey, we don't just got banana pudding. We got some peach cobbler. You want that? I said, come on, brother. Amen. Bring it on out, right? And I'm throwing that food down. I mean, I'm loving it. I'm having the best time of my life. I mean, the guy said, do you, do you want, need us to help carry you out? I said, no, I'm good. I'm going I'm to struggle, but I'm going to make it out because this was amazing, right? And here's, here's the deal, guys. I've been going around, and I've been telling everybody about bees. I mean, I've, I've been telling everybody I see. You know, man, you need to go to bees. You need to get that fried catfish, that fried chicken. You need to get all, so I've been telling people left and right. I've been excited, telling people all over the place, right? I was telling people in Florida, they don't even live here. But I was telling them, well, you need bees. <laughs> Drive up here, right? Here's what I want to challenge you with this morning as we dive into the text. Let me ask you this question as, as we look at our lives. How often do we get so excited about certain things? We have certain moments in our life that we love. And we begin to go out and we begin to tell anybody and everybody about those moments. But you know, how often do we really tell people about Jesus? And even more, ask yourself today, when is the last time you told someone about Jesus? Because here's the reality. As much as I love bees, I might go today for lunch, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it really wasn't that life-changing. And it really holds no comparison at all to the life change that Jesus Christ has had in me. And how much more should we share the gospel with people? And so today, as we dive in, I want you to think about that question, how When's the last time you shared the story of Jesus with somebody? We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today, and we're finishing up this Lost and Found series. And so basically Todd, he, he preached on the parable of the lost sheep, and then we skipped the parable of the lost coin, and then he preached on the parable of the prodigal son. And today we're going back to the middle, and we're doing the parable of the lost coin. But here's what I want us to do today. As we go into the parable of the lost coin, I want us to start at the beginning of chapter 15. And I want us to reread. I'm not going to preach it, don't worry. I'm not going to preach the parable of the lost sheep, but I want us to reread it because the parable of the lost coin is really a response to what happens at the beginning of chapter 15. So starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So in this picture, you've got all the tax collectors, you've got all the sinners, they're gathering around Jesus to hear what he's got to say. All these people who are lost, all these people who don't yet know the Lord are gathering around Jesus to hear what he has to say. 
And then here's what happens. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's mad. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So don't miss this picture. You've got Jesus. And you've got the lost people that he's hanging out with, he's doing life with, he's building relationships with, he's trying to teach them. And then you've got the religious people, the Pharisees, the ones who are found, the ones who have Jesus, and they begin, or claim to have Jesus, they begin to get mad and say, why is Jesus hanging out with these people? And so then Jesus tells us this first story about the parable of the lost sheep. Here it is. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus tells them the story about the lost sheep that they can relate to and how they leave the 99 for the one. And so that's like his first punch. Boom. And like on their way falling to the ground, he's like, let me give you a second punch. And that's where we pick up with the parable of the lost coin. And so starting in verse 8, this is the next story he tells. He basically tells another one to reiterate his point. And he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friend, friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So you've got this moment where Jesus hits them with the story of the sheep. And then he comes out with the story of the coin. And, and we got the story of this woman. She's got ten silver coins. She loses one. And then she begins to search. She's burdened by it. She wants to find it. She begins to search frantically for that coin. She begins to look everywhere. She begins to move stuff because she wants to find that coin. And when she finds it, she begins to rejoice, calls everybody together. They throw a big party, and they begin to rejoice. And Jesus is saying all this in a response to the Pharisees being mad for him being with those who are lost, with those who don't yet know him, the tax collectors and sinners. Now, here's the thing about this. You, you may say, what's this 10 silver coins thing about? Like, if I lose a silver coin, I'm not going to look for it. Well, in this time of day, it was very different. I'll mispronounce this, but it, it was actually called a coin called a drachma. And, and they had these coins, and some people said that each coin was worth a day's wages. And so it's a little more important. It's worth a whole day's wages. So if you lose one of 10, you're going to look a little more frantically to find it. But then some people also say that it was symbolic and that it was worn on necklaces, and it was passed down through families, and so it was, it was very symbolic, and it had value. And so if you lost it, you were going to want to find it. Now, I don't really know what the actual reason is. There's different theories for it, like I just gave you. But I think we can all agree that here's, the, here's what happens. A woman loses the coin, and she desperately wants to find it. She's burdened to find it. She searches to find it. And she does, and she rejoices. And I believe Jesus has given this point I believe he's saying this so that we could take away a few things. And today, I just want to give you four points that I believe that we can take away from Jesus' response to the Pharisees of why he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And number one is this, is God has a heart for the lost. I believe God has a heart for the lost. I mean, look at it. Here's Jesus in this moment, and he's hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Why? Because he has a heart for them. He wants them to know the truth. 
He's sitting there spending time with them, trying to build a relationship with them. You don't even see it there, though. You see it all throughout Scripture. I, I don't know if you remember, but in the Bible, there's a man named Zacchaeus. Many of you heard the story. You know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Y'all didn't know I could sing, did you? I may, I may break out here in a minute. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. I don't know the rest, or else I, but y'all are probably glad I don't know the rest, right? But you got this man named Zacchaeus, and he's a short man. And if you look at the scripture, we know that he's, he's a man who nobody likes, nobody wants anything to do with. He had cheated from people. He had lied to people. He had stolen from people. And really, he, he was nobody who looked anything like Jesus. He was the last person that you would expect Jesus to hang out with. Well, what happens? Zacchaeus, for some reason in his life, had reached a point where he was looking for something more. He was searching. He was longing for something more. So he hears about this guy named Jesus who's coming through town. But he's short, so he climbs up in this tree. And he begins to look for Jesus. And Jesus sees him searching. Jesus sees him trying to find him. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. And in that same moment, the crowd began to say, why is he going to Zacchaeus' house? Why is he going to hang out with Zacchaeus? He saw Zacchaeus searching. He saw Zacchaeus was lost and needed to be found. And he went to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus was forever changed and was never the same again. Jesus took the time to go to his house. He's, he had a heart for him. Maybe you remember the story in the Bible where there's a woman, and she's caught in the act of adultery. And so the, they literally pull her out in the act of adultery. So you just have to remember that they're pulling her out in the middle of her sin, in the middle of this act. So she's coming out in the middle of her shame, maybe half-dressed, not dressed. They pull her out and they throw her on the ground. They say, Jesus, we're commanded to stone such people. Shouldn't we stone this woman? And Scripture tells us that Jesus gets down in the dirt and he begins to draw in the dirt. And we don't know what he was writing. Many people think that maybe he was writing sins that the others had committed. Some people think that he was writing Scriptures. We don't know. But Jesus began to write in the dirt. And then he said, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And Scripture says one by one, from oldest to youngest, they began to drop their stones. And they began to walk away. And then you see a picture where Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where are they? Do they not condemn you? She said, they're gone. He said, then neither do I. And basically in this moment, and then he says, get up, go, and sin no more. In that moment, she's lost. She's in the act of being lost. And Jesus says, get up. I've got you. Go and sin no more. Many of us know that this story, Jesus is on the cross, right? And there's a man on one side and there's a man on the other side. And one of them begins to mock Jesus and he begins to say, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, then get us off of this cross. Call down a legion of angels, get us off this cross. And the other man said, we deserve what we're getting. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you get to heaven today. And in that moment, he confessed his sin. He said, I'm getting what I deserve. I've messed up. And then he said, I believe in you, Jesus. Remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus says, surely you will be with me today in paradise. And in that moment, we have to realize this man didn't have time to get off the cross and start changing his ways. He didn't have time to get off the cross and go back and apologize to people he did wrong. In that moment, Jesus said, hey, you'll be with me today. You confessed your sin. You believe. I forgive you. I have a heart for you. But you know what I think many of us forget? Many of us forget even that what Jesus did for us. And I just want us to just to remember. Jesus, the Bible said, was flogged, 
And what flogging was, they, they'd take a whip, and at the end of the whip, they'd have different uh, sharp materials like bone and lead, and, and they'd tie someone's hands up, and usually they'd whip their back and their, uh, their legs. And so as they would do that whip, the sharp materials would go in the flesh, and they'd rip it out, and the flesh would rip out. And they'd whip again, and they'd pull it out. The Scripture says Jesus was flogged, so they're doing this to Jesus over and over and over again. Then the scripture says they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. I, I don't know if you've ever been around thorns, but I was doing some landscaping uh, not long ago. And I've got some rose bushes. And everybody thinks they're pretty, but I hate rose bushes. Like, I can't stand them. Like, it, and here's why I don't like them they got thorns. And like, they kept pricking me and sticking me. And I'm like, man, these, this is awful. Like, let's chop this whole thing down. Let's get my truck and tie it up and just rip it all out, right? You know? I don't want this thing here. And so I, these thorns kept hitting me. But here's what we don't is that these thorns they were using were nothing even compared to what we have on rose bushes. They were even larger. Most people say they were an inch and a half to two inch thorns. And they took this crown and they put it on his head. Then the Bible says they began to mock him, make fun of him, began to ridicule him, put a purple robe on him just to make fun of him. And then he they even says they struck him in the face. And then he carries his own cross, and he, he only gets so far. He can't even carry it the whole way. He's so weak. And so someone has to carry it the rest of the way for us. And then as he went to be put on the cross, they took a nail, and they put it through his hand and stretched his arm out. They took another nail and put it through right here and stretched his arm out. And they took another nail and put it through his feet. And as he hung there, you'd have excruciating pain because you have to push up to breathe. And as you go, so you have excruciating pain in your legs. And as you come down, you have excruciating pain in your arms. And as Jesus was on that cross, as Jesus died, his blood was shed, and, and he went through it all for you and I. And every single one of us needs to remember that when we question if Jesus died for those who are lost, if Jesus has a heart for those who are lost, if Jesus even cares for those who are lost, look at the cross. Because Jesus died for the lost, and he died for the found. He died for the sinner. He died for the saint. He died for the person who has it all together and the person who doesn't have a clue. Jesus Christ died for every single one of us. So if you have to question if he has a heart for the lost, look at the cross. And the reality is every single one of us was lost at some point in time until we accepted Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm going to make a way so that you can accept me. So there should never be any question, does, does he have a heart for the lost? The cross he died for every single one of us that was lost. So my question for us today, do we have a heart for the lost? Do we have a burden for the lost? How often do we think about who's, who, who may not know the Lord? How often does it ever cross our mind? Are we a church who says, we care about the lost. We care about those who don't yet know the name of Jesus. I'll never forget, I was in inner city Nashville one time, and I was, uh, uh, I, I was helping in student ministry, and um, it was kind of a rough area, but God was doing great things. I mean, we were picking up kids left and right. I'd throw kids in the car and, you know, probably should have been more safe about it. But we'd throw them in there and we'd take them to church, right? And we're, we're picking them up left and right, taking them to church. And, and God's doing amazing things. God's saving people. And, and kids are coming to know the Lord. But you know what happens sometimes, guys, when you, when, you, when you start reaching people? The reality is that we're messed up people. And when you start reaching lost people, it gets a little messy. And everybody just needs to know that. When you start reaching, and we shouldn't assume that, hey, they got it all together. No, they don't have Jesus. And so we started reaching people that were a little bit, it was a little bit messy. But the Lord was moving, man. And people were coming to know the Lord. Students were coming to know the Lord for the first time. And I'll never forget, there was one girl. 
And, and I don't know exactly what went on at home, but something happened. And her mom was basically like, you got to go. And so she packed the bag and she packed the pillow and everything she had. And she just, her mom took her and she dropped her off at the church. She said, you got to go. She dropped her off there. They began to ask the girl, they said, why would you come here? She said, I don't know where else to go. I didn't know where else to go. But I'll never forget, I had a security guard come up to me later. He said, don't tell those kids to come here. And I just thought to myself, man, isn't this the one place where they don't know where to go that we would want them to come? Isn't this the one place where they should be accepted? Isn't this the one place where we should love and care for them and show them Jesus? Because here's the reality, guys, and we're going to get into this, but we've got the answer. Like, like, there is a disease out there called sin. And every single one of us would probably admit that, hey, if you had the cure for cancer, you'd probably tell somebody unless you were evil. But let me tell you something. There is a disease called sin that every single one of us is infected with from Genesis 3. Uh, when the fall of man happened and Adam and Eve ate the garden, every single one of us is born with sin and we're separated from God. And the only cure for that disease is Jesus. And every single one of us, if we've accepted Jesus Christ into our life as our personal Lord and Savior, we have the cure. And why don't we tell anybody about it? Because there are people that need it. Let me give you one more story. I remember my dad said he was in Texas one time at a church. And uh, same thing, they were going to picking up kids. And there was a group of Hispanic kids that they went to pick up. And um, they picked them up. Man, they, were, they got on at first, you know, kind of not knowing what to expect and were kind of down and sad. And, but they got them on and they took them to church. And, man, all of a sudden, by the end of the day, man, those kids were grinning from ear to ear. I mean, they were hollering, they were yelling, they were having a good time. They were loading back up in the van, you know, going back, wanting to come back. I mean, they were so excited. I'll never forget this way he said. He said, some people came forward after and said, we don't want those kids at our church anymore. I said, wow. I said, look at the walls. They got the walls dirty. They got the chairs messed up. We don't want that in our church anymore. Can I just challenge you, church? Can we be a church that says we don't really care if our walls get a little bit dirty? We don't really care if our chairs get a little messed up? Because at the end of the day, if people are coming to know the Lord, then it's all worth it. And we'll do whatever it takes short of sin to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, you can paint over walls. You can fix chairs. But you only got so much time to tell someone about Jesus. Because we don't know when that time ends. So number one, God has a heart for the lost. He has a heart for the lost. You see it over and over again. Number two is this. God has a command for the found. God has a command for the found. Growing up in high school, I I played uh, football and basketball, but my football coach, uh, his name was Coach Crabtree. That's just the coach's name, isn't it? Coach Crabtree. I mean, it just sounds like coach. Had his big old bald head. I mean, shiny. You can see your reflection off of it. I mean, and I kid you not, he had the biggest calf muscles I've ever seen. I mean, like, like, if I was walking behind him, I'd be like, whoa, like, let me walk in front. I'm scared now. Like, I mean, they're big as my head, right? And I played football, and I was a wide receiver. We had a guy by the name of Jalen Hurd, though, who went to Tennessee. So we ran the ball every time. I was, I was just like a glorified lineman on the outside. <laughs> we weren't throwing the ball anywhere. We're like, here you go, Jalen. Take off. I was the first one in the end zone every time, though. I just celebrate. I just run down and chase him. Ah, you know? Um, <laughs> But here's the deal, man. Coach Crabtree, big old calf muscles, big old shiny head, Crabtree, you know, he'd come out there. I mean, he, I mean, he was kind of scary at times, like he was going to be intense. And, and every now and then he'd say, guys, everybody on the line. Everybody on the line, we got to run. 
And, you know, I just wonder if I would have been like, hey, coach, I'm good. All right, I'm going to rest my legs for Friday, you know. Coach, it's been a long week. I'm not going to run today. Like, I'm going to let everybody else. I don't think that would have gone over very well. But you know what I think so many of us do with God? God's given us a command to go and tell the world about him. Hey, God, thanks for saving me. Thanks for doing the work in my life, but hey, I'm good. It's all right. I like everything else you wrote, but I'm not really going to tell anybody about it. I, I'm okay. Some of you are, are, are students in the room. You know, sometimes your parents tell you to clean your room, and you're like, yeah, I'll do it later. They're not really that serious, you know. But then there's the moments where they're like, clean the room. And you're like, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And you, you clean that thing up, right? Many of us in here work somewhere. Could you imagine if your boss said, hey, I need you to do this? And you said, ah, boss, I'm not, I don't feel like doing that today. Why don't you do it? You're the boss. You, you can get it done. You know everything. Probably get fired. Probably should get fired. Let me just read you a passage of Scripture real quick. Matthew 28, 19 says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me go back and just make sure. Therefore, go. Go. Last time I, I checked, it doesn't say, therefore, if you want to go, go ahead. Therefore, if, if you feel like it, go. Hey, if you want to today, go. And, I, and guys, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm beating you. This is to me too. This is to myself as well. No, no. God said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's commanded us to make disciples of all nations. He even says, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Corinthians, it says, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal to those who are lost through us. And you know what? I just want to share this with us. When we get to Acts, chapter 4, 19 through 20, we see a moment where Peter and John have been telling people like crazy about Jesus. And the Lord's moving, and they've been telling people left and right, and they've been seeing the Lord move, but all of a sudden, people begin not to like it. So basically, they, they pull them in, and they command them, and they say, you've got to stop telling people about Jesus. And this is their reply. Acts chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, this is what they say back to him. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? That's a pretty good first start right there. I mean, I'd preach. I mean, first, the first thing they say back to him is like, hey, what's right? Are we going to listen to you or are we going to listen to God? And then they say this. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In this moment, they say, hey, who are we going to listen to, you or God? Because God told us to go and tell the world, and we're going to follow him. And even more, even though it's a command, we can't help but to speak out about what he's done in our life. Every single one of you, if you've found Jesus, he's worked a miracle in your life. You've gone from death to life. Jesus has worked something in your life that is amazing. Tell somebody. Let me tell you something. These disciples, they messed up a lot at the beginning. But once they really saw Jesus and believed after he rose again, they took it serious, the command that he gave them. I want you to listen to 
what happened to each and every one of them. Judas betrayed Jesus and the other 11. This is what they did. Thomas preached the gospel in Greece and India and was killed by a spear. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was tied to a cross for he hung for two days as he preached Jesus to those who passed by. James was beheaded by sword. Philip was crucified. John was exiled and died on Patmos. Bartholomew, some say crucified and some say skinned alive and beheaded. Both are terrible. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia, stabbed him back after criticizing King's morals. Simon preached in Africa, then went to England where crucified. Thaddeus was crucified in either Turkey or Greece. James was, was killed by being beaten and stoned. Listen to me, church. These men had a command to follow Jesus. They, Jesus had changed their life, and they said, we're going to go tell the world no matter what happens to us, no matter if it costs us our life. And you know what happened because of it? They flipped the world upside down to the point that we're still talking about Jesus today on a whole other continent. Just because these men said, we take the command that Jesus had given us seriously, and we don't care what it costs us, we're going to tell the world about Jesus. You know what I think so often we do? Is we think about the cost and not the mission. The mission is greater than the cost. We need to be a people of God that say, we don't care what it costs us, even if I get made fun of, if I lose this, if I lose that, if I get persecuted, the cost can come because the mission is greater. And the mission is the, the one Jesus has given me because one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day everyone is going to stand before God and they're either going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, come on in, or depart from me for I never knew you. And listen to me, church, there is people today that we know that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in a real place called hell. The mission is great. I mean, we're talking eternity forever and ever and ever. We've got to be willing to say we're going to, we don't care what it costs us because the mission is greater. If you start looking at the cost, you'll back down. You start looking at the mission that God has called you to, the God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you'll do it. So God has commanded, a, commanded the found. Number three is this, is that God rejoices over the lost being found. God rejoices over the lost being found. Look, look at what it says here. I love this. Start, start at verse 9, Luke 15, verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I mean, he says when one sinner repents, when one person who's lost and now found comes to know the Lord, man, the angels go crazy. You know what I think he's saying in this moment? He said, when somebody who's lost becomes found, man, we throw a party in heaven. I mean, we go crazy. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love to be a part of something where, that God rejoices in? God rejoices in the lost being found. Why would we not be excited about something that God rejoices over? Why would we not be all in about something that God Throws a, the angels throw a party in heaven over. Man, I, I love having a good time. Like, I love getting together with a bunch of people and acting like an idiot, as if you can't tell, you know? Like, I, like you know, I was saying in the first service, you know, some of us in here, we're big, we're big Tennessee fans, you know? I talked to Cody Disney. I know the worship leader. He's a big UT fan. I talk to him about it all the time. Man, the Vols, some of us, we go crazy. And, I, and you know, when I get a Vols game on, I take it serious, right? 
I get my food because I love food. So I got my wings. I got my chips. I got, I mean, I got it all. I mean, I'm, I'm like, the food and the game, like, those are both equally important. Like, uh, you know, so I, I put it all out there, right? And, and I just remember there's been so many times where I've just lost my mind. Like, I remember when I was, like, in elementary school. Like, Tennessee's playing in overtime in, in football, and we won the game. And I just ripped my shirt off and took it out, out the front door, you know? Everybody in the neighborhood's like, is your house on fire? No, the ball's won. Come on. Rocket top, baby. We get so excited about so many things. But so often, don't we get kind of silent when it comes to life change? Which should be the most exciting thing of all. The angels are throwing a party. God rejoices over the lost being found. I, w- I want to read you some stories of some people from this church. And i got to be honest, if, if you're in this room and I say your name, I got these off the website. I didn't ask permission. But <laughs> so if you're mad at me, I'm sorry. We can talk after. I'll, I'll give you some money to go to bees. But I, I, <laughs> I figured if it was a public domain, it was allowed. But, you know, I'm only here for the day anyway. So um, <laughs> that's the good thing about being a guest speaker. You know, you come in, you do something wrong, you're gone, right? Um, Todd, he just has to come back every week. Like, I feel bad for that guy. But um, I want to give you some stories from public church of people going from lost to found. Number First, a guy named Stephen Lawson said, I grew up not knowing Jesus. Much of my free time was spent in athletics, and nearly every day, including Sunday, I could be found participating in a sport of some kind. I sometimes played sports through FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes events. When I was in high school, I even got baptized as part of an FCA event. I wasn't really following Jesus and didn't really attend church. The only times I visited church were on holidays. Since Sarah and I have been together, church has become a part of my life. She and I would have conversations about faith and my past experience. Then one day when we were at the grocery store, I told her I never remembered giving my life to Jesus and asking him to save me. I was developing a desire to find confidence in knowing Jesus. One day after the gathering at public church, I told her I wanted to talk with the pastor. So we went into the hallway with Todd, and I told him my story and how I wanted to be saved. I wanted Jesus in my life for real. We prayed and shed some tears. It felt great to have confidence in the work of Jesus and my life. Paul Montgomery said, at a young age, my family attended church until I was about nine years old. After that, I wasn't exposed much to Jesus or church until I became a student at Lee University. My girlfriend encouraged me to begin thinking about Jesus and attending church again. I started coming to public church, and after a period of time, I realized that I needed to become a Jesus follower. I realized that I needed to receive his forgiveness. Caroline Gowen said, I don't know if you remember, but one time Todd at the 530 service, and and all the service, he did it all day, but at the 530 service she was there, he did an illustration where he had a cup, and he talked about how you might look clean on the outside, and, and everybody thinks that you're doing good. Everybody thinks that you're clean and pretty and all that stuff, but you might be really dirty on the inside. And she said as she heard that, she'd been thinking about it for a long time. And that night when they gave the invitation, she just thought, why not today? Why not now? She got up as they gave the invitation, and she went over, and she began to talk to some people, and she gave her life to Jesus at the 530 gathering. Lindsay Powell said this. This is the last one. Lindsay endured a childhood that was darker than most. She grew up thinking that God was a celebrity like everyone heard of, but no one really knew. Church was not a big deal. Faith was not a priority for her. Self-success was. 
She moved from Florida to Cleveland. She was a 21-year-old who moved away from family and tried to start her own life in a city that has a culture she never witnessed. She said it was a bit of a blur until she started working at Starbucks and she began to make some true lifelong friends. Friends like Luke Bowler and Laura and Will Vest who challenged her thought process and reservations. There came a point in her life where she began to decline and bottom out. Dad was in the hospital, her living situation was struggling. She would graduated college and had little to show for it and said she was exhausted. She said she knew she needed more. She needed purpose and change. Todd met her at Starbucks and they began to talk. She began to ask questions. And then she came one night at the 530 service, and she began to come back, and she began to search in the Gospels who Jesus was. And one night at the 530 service, she gave her life to Jesus. Listen to me, church. These are real people who needed Jesus badly, just like we did, just like I did. These are real people who were going through hardships in their life, and needed Jesus. So real people who, if they would have died, they would have spent eternity in a real place called hell. You know what makes me the saddest about that story about Lindsay, though, is this. Todd shared this with me, and he shared it with us before, but she said this after she found Jesus. She said this, I wish someone would have told me sooner. I wish someone would have told me sooner. Listen to me, guys. If we know Jesus, why are we not sharing it? You know, when I first came to Cleveland, I noticed, you know, Cleveland is is a different area than most places. Cleveland's got churches on every corner. Have you all realized that? Like I drove around one day, I was like, church, 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 church. And then I drove around again, and I realized Mexican restaurant, Mexican restaurant, Mexican <laughs> restaurant, Mexican restaurant. And then I drove around one more time, and I saw bank, 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 bank. I'm like, why are there so many banks? Like, how, how can you have that many accounts? Like, they got something going on that I don't know about, right? But here's the reality. Cleveland, if we were honest, there's probably a lot of people who call themselves a Christian. There's a lot of people who go to church. We've got churches everywhere and all this stuff. And here, here, here's what breaks my heart about this. It's here's this girl named Lindsay living in Cleveland, Tennessee, where people would say it's the buckle of the Bible belt, and there's so many Christians. Listen to me. If there was that many Christians, if there's this many Christians and this many churches, if we've truly been changed by Jesus Christ, then if we've got all these people who are Christians, then there should be nobody who's never heard the story of Jesus Christ. If there's this many people who claim to be a believer of Jesus Christ, in this city there should be no one that we should find like Lindsay who has never heard the story of Jesus Christ. Breaks my heart, church. There's people we walk by every day who don't know Jesus. This is me too. There's people we go to work with. There's people we go to school with. There's people we do life with, and we never tell them of the greatest story of all, Jesus Christ. We'll tell them about fried chicken and fried catfish and about bees, but we won't tell them about Jesus. Lastly is this, and Spencer and the band are kind of, they're going to come back up and we'll be done and he's going to kind of begin to play in the background. Last point I want to give give you today is number four is is simple this, simply this, God help us get one more. God help us get one more. I want to share a story with you, many of you have maybe heard it, 
Many of you maybe saw the movie. There was a guy named Desmond Doss. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he didn't believe in using a weapon uh, to fight with, and he enlisted in World War II. And so he enlisted, but he didn't want to use a weapon. He refused to use a weapon, and for a long time he faced a lot of persecution because of that, as you could imagine. There's guys not wanting to go to war with him because he won't use a weapon. And he enlisted as a medic. Well, eventually they're at a battle one day, and it's 1945, and they're in a battle where there's a ridge. And in the middle of the battle, a lot of men for the U.S. got stuck on that ridge, and there was no way out for them. Well, this guy named Desmond Doss, he began to try to rescue as many as he could in that amount of time. So Desmond Doss, he would, he would crawl over, he'd walk over, whatever he had to do, and he'd, he'd grab a, a wounded soldier, and he'd pull him back, carry him back to the ridge, and he'd tie him up with a rope, and he'd lower him down. And he'd go back, and he'd rescue another one, and he'd pick him up, pull him, whatever he had to do, and he'd bring him back, and he'd tie a rope around him, and he'd, and he'd lower him down. And he'd go back again, and over and over and over again, they accredited him with 75 people that he saved their life that day. But here's what stuck out to me so much about that story is that they said every time he went to get somebody, he'd say these words as he, as he took them back, he'd carry them back, and he'd tie them with that rope, and he'd lower them down, and then he'd say these words, Lord, help me get one more. And he'd go back, and he'd get another one, he'd bring them back, and he'd tie the rope, and he'd let them down, and he'd say, Lord, help me get one more. And he'd go back, and he'd get another one, he'd bring them back, tie the rope, lower them down, Lord, help me get one more. Over and over and over again, 75 times, how many times, how, however many times it really was. Lord, help me get one more. I pray that we could be a people of God, that we could be a church that constantly say, God, help me get one more. God, help us get one more. Because there's people who do not know you. There's people who do not know your name. There's people who if they were died today, they spent eternity in a real place called hell. There's people who are living in a living hell right now and who are broken and need you. Because you're the cure. You're the answer. I pray that our answer, our reply would be, God, help us get one more. I pray that we'd say, God, help us get one more who doesn't know you. God, help us get one more neighbor in our neighborhood who doesn't know you. God, help us get one more student who's searching the hallways for answers in this life. God, help us get one more child so they can grow up to be a warrior for you. God, help us get one more family who desperately needs you. God, help us get one more senior adult who may be approaching their life's end and still need to know you before they go. God, help us get one more person who's broken and needs to be restored. God, help us get one more person who is lost and needs to be found. I pray that's our cry. God, help us get one more. You've saved us. We've accepted you. Now, God, let us share your name. As we leave today, there's a card in front of the seat. If you would, just go ahead and grab it. And there's a pen there, too, right in front of the seat. You can go ahead and grab it. If you're on the front row, it's below you. You can go ahead and grab that card and pen. I'm going to ask you to do something as you leave today. As you leave today, I'm going to ask you to write the name of somebody you know that you know that doesn't know Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to write it twice, and I'm going to ask you to tear it in half. And I'm going to ask you to leave one half in your seat, on the floor, wherever. Just leave it in the room and take the other half with you. 
Because here's what we're going to do with that. We're going to take the name that you leave. Just, just write the first name. Don't write the last name. And we're going to pass the names around to our community groups. And we're going to ask them to begin to pray for the name that you put down of the person who doesn't yet know Jesus. And then we're going to ask you to take the name that you wrote down as well. And you begin to pray. And I'm going to ask you to take a step. Share the gospel with them. Tell them. So often we come and, and, we, and we get the word of God and we hear the explanation and there's supposed to be application and we leave and we don't really apply it. Today I want to challenge you. Let's apply it. Take that name and our community groups will be praying and trying to share Jesus. Well, they may turn you down. They may reject you. They may think you're weird. They already think I'm weird, so it's, you know, it's no big deal, right? Share Jesus with them. The mission is greater than the cost. I'm going to pray for us. You can continue to write your name. If you want, you can sit and pray over that name. You can stand and sing. As, after I pray, you just respond however God calls you to respond, and the band's going to lead us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you died for us and saved us. We thank you that you have a heart for the lost, Father. God, I pray that we would follow the command that you've given us. I pray that we'd rejoice over the lost that are found. And God, I pray that you'd help us get one more. God, be with us as we go out today. Watch over us. Let us follow you. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Amen.